Uh, back hard by Nats Park in Navy Yard. Chris Knocky, Denton Day with you. The name of the show is Overtime, 106.7 The Fan and Odyssey app. You know, we are looking straight in the face of August 1st here. It's hard to believe that happens next week. And uh, with that and the combination of that and the fact that you've, you know, you've gone through the musical chairs that amounts to an NFL offseason between free agency and trades and whatnot, um, it's time to start sort of gearing up and, and taking a look at, or at least thinking about, fantasy football for this season. Denton, I don't know how many leagues you might participate in. Believe it or not, I'm actually not a huge fantasy football really? guy. Okay. I'm a degenerate gambler, okay. but I'm not a fantasy guy. Well, you know what? They're sort of tied at the hip. They're not far. They're, they're that cousins. They are. They're cousins <laughs> of one another. So, at any rate, one of the things, you know, we, we have such short memories uh, as sports fans, and that's, for the most part, a good thing. But there are a host of guys who have been hurt who are scheduled, knock on Formica here, scheduled to come back this year, and some of whom are can be massive, can have massive impacts, not just for their teams in a, you know, uh, in a winning situation, but more importantly, for your fantasy team. You look, there's a, there's a whole roster full of NBA guys coming off of ACL tears from last year. Um, and some of which, most of which, because, you know, back in the day, it used to be like when you tore your ACL, you, it, you know, it could be a long protracted process in, in a lot of cases, uh, it's not that way anymore. I mean, it, it, it is a grind. There's no question about it. And, and. I'm not minimizing what it takes to come back from such a pretty ser- such a serious injury, but look at the f- look at Logan Thomas, for example, tied in for the Commanders. You know, I remember Denton. He was on. I don't remember which show. It was on this st- this station in April when he was talking about the surgery he had. Okay, now this is a guy who was critical when he played. He made a difference for this club. There's no question. Big time talent, former quarterback. Who is a looks like a legit tight end, great hands, great red zone guy, just exactly the kind of guy you need playing the position. He's a guy who, you know, he had his ACL torn. He revealed when he spoke to the station in April, and I'm not making this up, that not only when they went in to do his ACL, he got the whole gamut done. I mean, he went for the complete engine overhaul. Not only did they address his ACL, but also his MCL and both menisci, okay, the meniscus in both of his knees. So with all that, effectively four surgeries rolled up into one, guess who's expected to play come September? That would be one Logan Thomas. Now, again, I'm not minimizing the grind uh, at all, but I, I, I marvel at not only the recovery time of these ridiculous athletes, but also the advances in, in therapy and, and surgery and things like that. But in no particular order here, some of the guys we got to get back. J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, both two guys running back for the Ravens who tore their ACLs within a couple of weeks from each other, of each other. And um, you know, that was a, it was a painful loss for the Ravens, for sure, or losses, I should say. Robert Woods from the Titans went down in practice. He hurt himself in practice. Fortunate that he was able to rehab with the Rams during that Super Bowl run. 
Uh, everybody seems to think that the Rams have kind of the state-of-the-art rehab team, rehab group. Well, now he's with the Titans, and um, and they expect uh, they and I did they did sign him to a to a contract, so they expect him to be back as well. How about this? This is an intriguing player to watch from my book because I've had him on my team before with mixed results. Robert Tanyan, who got hurt in Week Eight, Green Bay Packers tight end. He's a guy who's very good around the red zone. Aaron Rodgers appears to really like him. But keep in mind, you know, Devontae Adams is gone. That touchdown machine is gone. Rodgers is still going to be throwing the ball all over the field. Tanyan may be one of those guys you want to pay attention to. A tight end, a good tight end. You know, there are three or four guys that dominate that position from a fantasy perspective. And... Those are guys that you probably aren't going to get if you're looking to pick up a tight end middle of the draft. Tanya may be one of your guys. To me, the most intriguing combination in terms of guys coming back from injuries is actually going on in New Orleans, and that would be Jameis Winston, who's coming back from an ACL tear. And it was kind of an ugly tear. It was uh, He was tackled from behind in a game, and uh, Jameis is a big, strong, strapping kid and went down awkwardly. Uh, he was gone for the year. Now, keep in mind, uh, he first they, he is expected to be fully healthy. He is a guy, he's going to throw some picks. There's no question. But he throws it all over the field. He loves to go deep. He They drafted Chris Olave from Ohio State with the 11th pick of the draft. And he's got one of my favorite fantasy football players of all time, Michael Thomas, coming back. Michael Thomas, when he was, um, when he was healthy, uh, and playing with Drew Brees was he got you know he was catching like 115 balls a, a year and you know touchdown machine as well. I'm reminded Sean Payton once was asked about Thomas during his his rookie year, and Sean Payton's comment about Michael Thomas was you know I don't pay attention to anything that has anything to do with fantasy football, but if I did, I'd pick up Michael Thomas. So. Uh, you know, that's an interesting combination right there, especially when you throw Olave into the mix. Thomas, you would guess, would be the number one uh, receiver in that core. But again, Winston's going to throw it all over the field, and uh, there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of passes to share. Other guys coming back, Curtis Samuel, wait to see. You know, I mean, growing injury for, for most of uh, June minicamp last year. Effects lingered into the season. Uh, growing led to a hamstring injury, missed 12 of 17 games. You know, we'll see. Maybe some of the pressure's taken off by some of the additions. You know, Brown has made some strides, you would hope. Uh, Adam Thielen, Minnesota Vikings, who, again, was, you know, had that great synergy, great chemistry with Kirk Cousins. Um, he missed four games due to a high ankle sprain that ultimately required some surgery. Still had 10 touchdowns. Still had 10 touchdowns. And the guys who had him, we're bitching because in most cases, this is a guy who was getting you 15, 16 touchdowns a year uh, and just automatic in the red zone as well. So, you know, there are a lot of guys that we're, you know, we're waiting to see come back from, um, uh, from injury. I would love to see Logan Thomas on my team because I do think that this is a guy, I, I, you know, I'm not sure how much the commanders will commit to running first versus passing. Passing first. They've got the – would seem to have the weapons on the outside. Maybe they want to take the ball out of the new quarterback's hands a little bit. You know, Gibson, running back, has a guy who's dropped body 
Body fat's dropped from above 18% to below 12%. He looks like a new guy, Antonio Gibson. So, you know, it kind of depends on on kind of your your mindset going in. Are you a run-first team, or are you going to do what the rest of the NFL does at this point in time and throw the ball all over the field? I, I was floored by the stat that uh, Grant Paulson had pulled out in the 4 or 5 o'clock hour. This franchise, in the history of the franchise, has only had five years where the quarterback has gone over 4,000 yards. And in a couple of cases, Brad Johnson, Jay Schrader, it was just a hair over uh, 4,000 yards. Kirk Cousins went 4,900 one year. Kirk Cousins has three of those five seasons. And it's just shocking to me. I guess traditionally this has always been a run-first organization. Maybe it's just the, the flavor of coaching that has been in here. But you would think that Carson Wentz, with the receiving core that he has, with the scheme that most people are using now, and with the complete castration of defensive backs, these guys can't touch anybody. You know, you, you, they get called at, the, at, at every turn, it seems like. You would think that this would be one of those years where a quarterback could throw for a lot of yards. I certainly hope so. But to, to kind of add to your stat, uh, traditionally, uh, all our quarterbacks suck. That's the reason they don't throw for 4,000 yards. <laughs> Pretty technical. Yeah, that was the nice way of putting it, believe yeah. it or not. Well, there's that. There's that. And then that leads to the discussion. If you had a guy who threw had three seasons of 4,000-plus yards and you let him go, you know, why would you, why would you have done something like that when he had three of your five seasons? And the other part about Cousins, and this leads to the salary, whole salary discussion. It fe- also feeds into the, the Soto discussion. You know, we look at these contracts, and they look gargantuan when they're given out. And then in the rear view, like three or four years hence, you look back at these things, they don't seem that big. You know, you look at, look at what, uh, and, and I guess the Nats got lucky you know, with it, the fact that they didn't re-sign Rendon because he's been such a nightmare in terms of the injuries in uh, in, Cal- in uh, L.A., in Anaheim. But that, that, that just assumes that he would have had those same injuries here. You don't know that. That's just a, you know, uh, it's just shot, a shot in the dark. But the, the, the amount of money that he was paid, you think, man, that's a lot of money. And it was a lot of money. But, you know, Again, in the rear view, it just doesn't these contracts don't appear to be as big to me as they as they are when we're kind of kicking them around. But uh, at any rate, there's a lot to look forward on the fantasy football front. A lot of it depends too on how your league is structured. You know who who gives you the most bang for the buck? Is it the quarterback? You know, is it a run? You know, is it is it just a straight fantasy league? Is there PPR involved? You know, there's all that, all those permutations of fantasy football. Everybody's got a different league. You know. And, and different rules. I played in three different leagues last year. Every one of them was different in terms of the rules. And it was mind-boggling to sort of keep track because you'd make a deal in one of your leagues thinking, yeah, this guy's good for you know X number of points per game. And actually where, you want, where I wanted to add him was in another league where he's of greater value. You know? So uh, fantasy football shouldn't be that kind of work, you know, that kind of effort. But uh, – at any rate, got a little bit more NFL to get to talk to. We're going to also talk a little bit about the uh, Commanders training camp starting up here on uh, Wednesday. It's right here. Finally got here. Okay, it's overtime. 106.7 The Fan and Odyssey app. All right, we're back. 
Chris Naki, Denton Day with you till 9.40 when the Nats take over. And that's in L.A. to play the Dodgers. You know, NFL training camps start this week and have started in some cases already. And uh, Denton, I am floored by one of the stories that just will not die because the NFL has so bungled it from the start. By not being definitive and clear and concise and dealing with the Deshaun Watson story, it continues to fester. It, it becomes a bigger deal day by day. It also hamstrings, and, and maybe they deserve it, completely hamstrings the Cleveland Browns in terms of do you plan on having him midway through the season? I mean, my guess is, I, this just me, my guess is he's not going to be available the entire season. That's just my guess. But the Browns also are lucky because they have their bye literally in week eight, kind of right in the middle of the season. So it it gives the NFL sort of a natural uh, window, if you will, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to be able to to get him back on the field, I guess. Um, But if you're serious about dealing with guys and, you know, harshly for off the field issues and, these aren't just issues. I mean, these aren't just a couple of women said this and and that. I mean, this is sort of a serial behavior, serial bad behavior. I don't know why you wouldn't just be definitive, make the call, and move on. I think the NFL is serious about this, but I know the NFL is more concerned with protecting themselves first. And that's the reason this has gone on. They can't just suspend him now for a year because they know they're going to get hit with a lawsuit. From the PA, NFLPA? From NFLPA, from Deshaun Watson himself. They're going to they're gonna fight back on this. That's that's one of the things. Like I don't feel bad for the Browns at all. They knew this was going yeah, to happen. Yeah, they did. They well, either that or they did the world's worst job of investigating you know, this whole thing, right? I mean, it's Inspector Clouseau level. Idiocy. Well, they said right after they traded for him, we did our due diligence. Yeah. And like two weeks later, more cases dropped. And they were just like, uh, yeah. all right, our due diligence wasn't quite enough. But they, they structured his contract to where he's only losing a million dollars if he gets suspended this year. Mm-hmm. Because everything else is signing bonus. So they knew this was going to, this, something like this was going to happen. But I, I agree with you. It feels like this is something that should have been dealt with at least a month ago. I mean, we're a couple days away from training camp. And he's going to be there. He's going to, I don't know what the reaction is going to be, but this is something that should have been handled long ago. Well, I have to believe in the CBA that exists in the, uh, in the collective bargaining agreement that exists in the NFL, there clearly are powers given to the commissioner to mete out punishment in a situation like this. And while Deshaun and the NFL PA may threaten a lawsuit, I think Goodell historically has always been well within his rights whether you agreed with them or not, to issue whatever punishment he and the league saw fit. And maybe maybe the reason that they're slow rolling this is simply to go through the appearance of, you know, we're, we're unearthing every possible lead and all, blah, 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 blah. Rhetoric, rhetoric, rhetoric. Uh, but maybe that's a part of this as well. It feels like they do that every single time something like this happens, which happens way more than we'd like it to, and they still get the punishment wrong. Yeah. Like every single time, no matter who you look at in the past five, six years since Goodell has been judged during executioner, they take forever to deal out the punishment. And then when they deal out the punishment, they immediately get criticized 
and, and damn near crucified because they get the punishment wrong. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. I mean, and, and that's, you know, I mean, the guy's paid an enormous amount of money on an annual basis to be basically judge, jury, and, and executioner here. But So I'm not going to feel sorry for him. And I think a lot of times, too, it, it's worth noting that, you know, we get sort of presented the, 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 the facts as we see them of the case. I think when you're behind closed doors, I think maybe when you're going to decide, there are shades of gray that we as sports fans don't always understand when, when he's just trying to decide, uh, you know, how, what kind of what level of punishment uh, to administer to some of these guys. So that's a part of the equation as well. Uh, have you ever been to training camp on a regular basis? Uh, I went a couple of times. I actually got Sean Taylor's autograph when oh, I was Oh, did you really? Cool. Yeah, I was silly enough to not get it on any piece of memorabilia and get it on a piece of paper, and I now have no idea where that piece of paper is, but I got his autograph. That would have been out in Ashburn? Yep. Or Ashburn. Okay. Yep, out in Ashburn. It is a brutal, hot slog. I don't know if you what you remember about your day out there. How old were you? You must have been. At that time, let's see, that was... Uh, between that was the year before he got killed. That was the Brandon Lloyd Adam Archuleta hype free agency year. Oh, so I was probably Lord. about eleven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rough year. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Lloyd Adam Archuleta. Um. Okay. So for anybody who goes out there, and it's 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 cool to see it. Uh, I think it gets old pretty quickly, and also from a press perspective, they limit your access, limit what you're able to see. I've always thought that that hard knocks was the best look at training camp simply because you had all those film room looks. You know, you had all the it's it's remarkable to me to to be able to see the and hear the conversations between coaches and players, especially players who are getting the axe. It's it's that is that's the hardest thing in the world to to cut somebody. And you think on that level. You are basically just ripping their their dreams right out of out of their hearts, but to me, that's a lot more compelling look at training camp than what you see if you actually go to a training camp. And then you throw in the fact that I, I love the city of Richmond, love the town of Richmond. It's a great place to be, but it always feels like it's ten degrees hotter than it is up here. And so you go down there, and between the heat, humidity. Um, you know, it's called August for a reason. It just sucks. It, it's, it's one of those, it, it'll, it'll sap you a little bit. And I have great respect for, you know, the Rick Snyders of the world that will go down there and eat it up with a spoon. They will go down there and spend all day, every day, and be able to cogently comment on the guys who studded up and the guys who disappointed. Uh, because it's, it's one of those things that you got to be pretty wonky to be able to you know, uh, uh, to be able to hang with all that stuff yet, you know, it's, uh, it's part of the equation and it is a rite of passage. It's also one of those things that it, it ramps up the NFL hype machine, right? I mean, this is when we all start to the, we are in the dog days of, of sports, professional sports right now. And, you know, the MLB still got a long way to go, uh, before playoffs start. So, this is when all that interest starts to ramp up. Uh, the NFL Network sends the bus around and to all the all the uh, camp sites. You know they'll spend a day in every locale, and you get a chance to meet, hear somebody that maybe you didn't know about, and you get a chance to sort of do some. And again, I know I'm making a big deal out of it for a guy who doesn't play fantasy football, 
but you get a chance to sort of uh, to do all that. And and the fantasy thing, much like betting, has sort of is is one of those things that makes the NFL the Goliath that it is. You wager on any part of any game. Uh, now you can do it in the comfort of your seat if you go to a game. Um, it it is a remarkable thing, and same thing is true with the fantasy football, where where the the interest that uh, you know people who heretofore really were ambivalent about the the NFL who play fantasy football, i.e., women, i.e., millennials. You know, there are a lot of folks your age who who've probably tuned out on sports, who don't watch sports in a don't consume sports in a very traditional way. Is that fair to say? Yeah, especially now because, you know, most of us in in my generation, when, when we move out of our parents' house, we don't take the cable with us. So yeah. We rely on streaming, and it's you have to try a little bit harder, and sometimes my generation doesn't love trying that hard. <laughs> Allegedly. Indictment. I love it. I love it. Well, at any rate, the training camp experience is one, I think you got to taste it, and you got to... Uh, go down and live with it a couple of days, and then you probably think to yourself, yeah, probably good for the next couple of years. You know, I'll go watch Hard Knocks. By the way, do we know who's on Hard Knocks this year? Do we know that? Oh, it, it might be the Rams again. I can, I'll find that okay. information. Now. Okay. It's always compelling stuff. The Browns a couple of years ago were riveting with all the stuff they had going on, the kind of the Baker Mayfield uh, uh, episodes of, uh, of, of, of the show. Very good stuff. All right, got a lot of other things to get to. I want to get to this Kevin Durant issue here when we come back on the other side of the break. Lots going on in the NBA still. Still some free agents to land. Still some proposed trades. Uh, Donovan Mitchell mentioned in the same breath with your Washington Wizards earlier today. I don't see that happening, but uh, gosh, who knows? All right, it's overtime on 106.7 The Fan and Odyssey app. All right, we're back. In studio down here, lovely, lovely Navy Yard, hard by Nats Park. Chris Knocky, Denton Day with you. Overtime's the name of the show here with you till 9.40 tonight. Nats take over. Dave, Charlie take over. Nats pregame show, 9.40. First pitch, 10 o'clock in Los Angeles. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know why I would have forgotten this, but I, I sort of rhetorically asked my man Denton here about who – Hard Knocks was covering this year for HBO and training camp. Well, as it turns out, it is the Detroit Lions. And you think, wow, the lowly Detroit Lions. Actually, they have the most entertaining man in sports as the head coach. That would be one Dan Campbell. And for anybody who hasn't caught Dan's act, and so I think most NFL fans certainly have caught him at pressers and, you know, post games and things like that. He is intense. He ch- must chug coffee by the, it must be given to him intravenously. Um, HBO will make him a rock star. He will own hard knocks this year. We got a couple of clips. Denton, you want to queue up one of those and w- w- give us a little precursor as to where. Well, I know one was his knee, famous kneecap. Yeah, this comment. is this is the first one when he was hired in Detroit. This is introductory press conference, and he didn't pull uh, any punches in terms of unleashing that character. All right, here's what I do know: is that this team is going to take on the identity of this city. All right, and 
the city's been been down and it found a way to get up. All right, it's found a way to uh, overcome adversity. All right, and so this team's going to be built on. Uh, we're going to kick you in the teeth. All right, and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off. All right, and we're going to stand up. And then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down. All right, and on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap and we're going to get up. And then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you. Before, before long, we're going to be the last one standing. All right, that's going to be the mentality. All right, and we're going to learn that any loss that we take, we're going to make sure we feel the full pain of it and not go numb to it and learn from it and not to want to taste it again. All right, we're going to be competitive every game. I can't sit up here and guarantee wins and losses. And <laughs> Well, that was at his, at his introductory presser, and he actually he, he just got better during the course of the year. Yeah, he also cried during a couple of post-game press conferences. I mean, clearly invests a lot of himself and uh, loves his job. What else you got, Den? So this other one was another viral moment from him because, you know, when you do your daily job, you wake up in the morning, you might need a little caffeine. Well, Dan Campbell takes whatever your little caffeine is and does way more. He, as the kids say, does the most. So normally what I do is I get, I'll get two venti, I go to, you know, Starbucks, I get two venti of the pipe with two shots in them. So black eye and both. That's what I come in with. That's how I start the day. So. So that's a lot of caffeine, man. Just an obscene amount of caffeine. Yeah. And so that's to start the day. So and guys who have that to start the day will usually hit it to sustain the day as well, right? I mean, he's not holding it. That's probably five o'clock in the morning because those guys, you know, during the course of the season, I mean, it's a it it amounts to a twenty hour a day job. Um, so I mean, ima- imagine what his doctors are thinking about the way he lives his life. Now he looks like a pretty healthy guy, but I'm telling you, the way hard knocks works, where they focus on – they do a really nice job of picking out guys to focus on that are compelling characters that are can articulate themselves or that are especially unique. This guy is really kind of all three, and he is a bit of a caricature. There's no question about it. But, but he, he will make for compelling TV. And, again, most NFL fans know who he is. And his act is one of those things that we've seen regularly on, uh, you know, on SportsCenter and, you know, and post games. Uh, but, uh, again, HBO is going to make him a star to a lot of people who maybe don't live and die with the NFL every week that focus more on the highlights and, uh, you know, what their, what their fantasy team is doing. Not a whole lot of highlights, by the way, for those Detroit Lions last year. So, all right, uh, let's move on. I wanted to touch a little bit on the Kevin Garnett issue. You know, there is some speculation that, much like with Juan Soto, there's always seems to be a new trade partner right around the corner. Most recent one is is a little bit surprising to me, and that would be the Boston Celtics. You know, I, I would be hard-pressed, for instance, I knew that there was some discussions about um, the Mets maybe being a possible landing spot for Juan Soto. I don't see that ever happening. There, there's, there's no way you would trade him to a team – that you play 18 times in a season or 19 times in a season, whatever that number is. 
Uh, I think that the, the, the pushback is just, uh, it, it would be too great. Uh, you're far more likely to see a guy like Soto go to maybe San Diego, someplace like that. Even St. Louis, who now is uh, appears to be the Vegas leader in terms of Soto's spots. But Kevin Garnett, or excuse me, sorry, Kevin Durant to uh, – uh, to Boston is a wild proposition. Now, I, I, I mean, if I'm the Celtics, I, I try anything to pull it off because I do think it makes them uh, ready, championship ready. They were pretty damn close last year. Um, Durant takes them to a little different level. They're holding out because they don't want to give up Marcus Smart in the trade. Uh, I, I see that as well. But this might be one of those things that at the end of the day, nothing happens. It's all fodder. Grist for the mill, as they say. You know, it's hard to trade a guy like that. And I know he's requested it, and and NBA players have an incredible amount of leverage. Um, But I just don't know that that trading him to the Celtics is as realistic, I think, as sometimes the media is making. I think it would be Kevin Durant's personal worst worst case scenario, at least as far as social media is concerned. Because if you thought the narrative of if you can't beat him, join him was loud when he joined Golden State, imagine doing it again when he gets swept by the Celtics. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's and it's a bad look. I don't think Durant gives a damn about the bad look because if he had, I think he would have addressed it before. But you know, this would be. One of the biggest trades in the in the NBA in the last twenty years, and and Durant has been involved in some of the biggest trades in the last twenty years. You know, some of the things that pop to my mind, uh, you know, and I'm going back a ways. Uh, you know, people sort of remember stars. Everybody remembers Allen Iverson, for instance, as a seventy sixer, right? Hall of Famer. He's wearing that jersey, I'm sure, or wearing that cap, or whatever they say when you go in the NBA Hall of Fame. He was traded to Denver. The end of his career. People forget about that. Most people remember, you know, the big Kawhi Leonard deal. Kawhi had sort of made his – he was disappointed. There were some uh, issues in San Antonio about injuries. Um, and Ka- Kawhi and his family, his people were very, very upset with the way he was treated down there. He's forced to trade to Toronto. And all he does in one year in Toronto is bring home a, an NBA championship. There, there's some other trades, and NBA players have an amount of leverage that a lot of other athletes don't. Dwight Howard, you, people don't, people forget Dwight Howard's sort of a clown now. I mean, he's sort of a, he's a journey. He looks like he's a journeyman in terms of he's been in the NBA for so long, but he was the gold standard for big men before, you know, he's sort of playing out his career right now. Um, and Dwight Howard was traded in 2012. To the L.A. Lakers, he had been in Orlando forever, and he was traded. And Orlando got a host of players in return for him, and uh, players and picks, and um, and it, it's crazy. But but Dwight Howard, Howard was one of those huge, huge trading pieces back when he was a you know top five, top top six NBA player. Kevin Garnett going to Boston. Gives Boston a chance to win a championship, and they do. The big three in Boston. Uh, Westbrook's been a part of trade. Shaquille O'Neal's been a part. Traded to Miami. That was 2004. Lakers got Lamar Odom, Karan Butler, Brian Grant, and a first-round pick in 2006. So Shaq's good enough to trade, too. Kevin Love, Carmelo Anthony, Kyrie, all these guys, big-name guys, James Harden, 
Darren Williams. Darren Williams is an interesting player to me. Do you even remember Darren Williams? Oh, of course. Him and Carlos Boozer on the Jazz, they had a bunch of great postseason series with San Antonio in the late 2000s. Darren Williams was a dream team point guard, starting dream team point guard, Olympic team point guard. And he forced his way out of uh, of Utah, goes to New Jersey, short-lived New Jersey Nets became the Brooklyn Nets like a year, year and a half later. But uh, Darren Williams was a high, high, high-grade level NBA point guard. And when he went to New Jersey, the, just the mojo was gone. You know, it never really – they ended up buying him out. And the pieces that Utah got in exchange um, were Derek Favors, Enos Cantor, Cantor uh, but they also started to retool their roster around Gordon Hayward. So the, the Utah was able to retool and move on and uh, and did just fine. Thank you very much. But, but again, star players get traded in the NBA on a regular basis. Witness Paul George. And I think maybe the biggest NBA trade in the last 20 years involves Anthony Davis to the Lakers. Now, you know, at the time you think the Lakers teaming Davis with LeBron, you know, it's unfair. And they did win the championship in the bubble. But you look at what the Lakers have given up over the last several years, and in that particular uh, trade, they gave up Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. Ingram's a star. He's a big-time certified player. So um, it's just kind of interesting that that teams are not afraid to trade NBA All-Stars. Uh, a lot of time it's done with a gun to their head. And uh, I just, again, back to the original premise, I don't know how you can justify to your base. I don't know how you can justify to yourself trading them to a team that you're going to see as often as the Nets would see the Celtics. Isn't it fascinating, though, when it comes to building trade packages? Because you know what the Nets are asking for with, with Kevin Durant. They want players they can plug and play now, um, preferably an all-star and a bunch of draft picks. But you had just listed the package that the Lakers – got in return when they dealt Shaq, when Shaq was, you know, maybe not at the height of his prime, but he was still very much in his prime, and it's like three players in one first-round pick. Rudy Gobert just got five first-round picks for the Utah Jazz. Amazing. Quite a way we've come when it comes to building packages around stars, and I think that's really what's hurting the Nets at this point. Well, I think the other thing, too, Denton, I think the money has gotten to be so insane that the prevailing – wisdom among GMs in the NBA is I would rather have the draft collateral than a player who costs me a, a huge amount of money because you have uh, the rookies under much they're much more under your thumb for a longer period of time than any free agent is these guys all sign for the most part short-term contracts as we discussed earlier in the show not like baseball you know where they're uh, you know they're they, they're looking for 10 plus years and it's a completely different animal from the NFL which is a you know, still an anomaly in terms of the lack of guaranteed money, save for Deshaun Watson, which makes no sense to me. But uh, at any rate, that's we've we beat Deshaun up already. So, all right, a lot to get to here. We're here till nine forty. Couple more hours yet before the uh, uh, Nats' uh, first pitch against the Dodgers. Overtime is the name of the show. One zero six seven, the fan and Odyssey app. All right, we're back. Chris Naki Denton Day with you. We're live here in Navy Yard, D.C. Beautiful, beautiful Navy Yard. You know, a lot to get to here. Nat's coming up at 940 uh, there in L.A. 
Um, Denton, I don't know what we are to make of the whole Charles Barkley, David Faraday um, flirt, flirting with, well, Faraday's gone, uh, gone over to the Live Tour. Barkley, Charles Barkley has met with Greg Norman. I, it, it's not apparent that there was an offer made, but my guess is, is that this is an attempt, another attempt by the Live Tour to buy credibility, if you will. I mean, uh, Barkley is one of those guys. It's funny, uh, the evolution of Charles Barkley. He pitches everything on TV. Subway. Uh, Capital One. I mean, he's on. It seems like he's on every commercial uh, anymore. And yet, one of the things that that made his money for him was his show on TNT. You know, with Kenny the Jet and uh, and Shaq, uh, best pre and post game show maybe in sports. Okay, and TNT is in cahoots with the PGA. They show a lot of PGA events. My guess is there's no way that TNT is going to want him to do, you know, be involved with them if he's, albeit in a different sport, if he's involved with a live tour. Um, so my guess, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I'm, I'm sort of, somebody said to me the other day when we were talking about, um, and we were actually golfing when we had this discussion, but when we were talking about the live tour, if somebody came to you and said, I will triple your salary, Denton, your salary working at this fine radio station, I will triple it, and you don't have to worry about a job performance review. You don't have to worry about ratings. You know, basically, you just show up. And not only that, you're not going to have to work nearly as much as you've had to work in the past. <laughs> that sounds like my dream. What would you say, right? I mean, Which effectively is what the Live has done. They've gone out and gotten these guys. They're paying them what amounts to guaranteed money, whether they win or not. Right, they're making big time dough, and you can finish thirtieth in one of their tournaments and make a make a, an enormous the kind of money that nobody sees in a year. Most regular people don't see in a year, or won't see in a lifetime. Barkley is certainly going to generate eyes. I don't want to see him leave TNT. I don't either. I know he has a. I think it's one or two years left on his current deal with TNT. I'd like to see him ride that out because he is. He's the best show on t- television. Like, there's a reason he gets all these commercials. Mm-hmm. You know, this entire generation of of uh, fans from my generation below, like, I didn't grow up watching Charles Barkley. I'm 27, but I, I know about Charles Barkley because I love basketball. But most of us know about him being the character on television. Now, I do find it fitting. I don't know if you were uh, plugged into this towards the end of their run this season. It was almost like a Charles Barkley appreciation going on on social media, where there were all of these clips of him being Charles Barkley on the show. And oh no, I didn't. I wasn't. Ta- no, that surprised me because usually I, I would catch that. Yeah. It's just something that naturally occurred about Chuck being hilarious, and there was like two minute clips here. Then it was almost like this big Twitter thread that just exploded into a, a barrage of YouTube clips and all these different things. And now with the hindsight of potentially Chuck leaving, it's almost like that was a retirement send-off. But the thing with him, and with that show in particular, I feel like we as fans, we deserve to know that it's coming to an end because mm-hmm. it's been such a staple in the NBA. So selfishly, I would like Chuck to wait at least a year before they throw $30 million in his face or whatever it'll be. I don't know what that number is, but it's going to be a big number because, I mean, he makes he makes an awful lot doing what he's doing. I... uh the other part about it from a Barclays perspective is that, you know, 
up to this point, really, the relationship it, between golf and Charles Barkley is not really a symbiotic one. It's one where, for years, people mocked Charles about his golf game, right? It's, it's he, one that he, hurts your back. Yeah, he had he had one of the ugliest swings ever. Now he's fixed it. Doesn't look nearly as hideous as it once did. Um, but uh, and I know he loves to play. He's always loved to play. But my point is this: is that you know he, he does analysis for TNT in a sport that he knows. He played. He lived. And to me, the 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 live thing is one of the not only is it a is it an attempt for for credibility to buy credibility which I, I, people do all the time i'm not bad mouthing that but it, it, the the one thing that live lacks that they desperately desperately need is tv and barkley probably puts them one step closer because he is telegenic he's interesting to broadcast the broadcast medium Oh, I bet I bet Fox wants their cut of Charles Barkley. I yeah. mean, he's been on TNT for such a long time. Fox dishes out a lot of money to their broadcasters, maybe not quite the same as like CBS with Romo, but if they can get Charles Barkley and them not really having to be the ones technically paying him, Liv's going to pay him to be an analyst. I mean, that that's almost a once in a, a generation kind of deal from a television perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mentioned Barkley. <laughs> it occurs to me also, Barkley's relationship with golf isn't just uh, partially because of that atrocious swing that he had that people used to, uh, and you can still find it everywhere, I'm sure, YouTube and Twitter. Um, but also the other part, the other role that he's had in golf traditionally is like he'd be <clears throat> on uh, those made-for-TV matches. You know, Peyton Manning and Steph Curry and those guys, you know, involved Tiger and Phil with with – Brady and Manning, that kind of a thing. Barkley would be the guy there for comedic, you know, moments. Basically, he'd be he'd be in the cart behind them, and they're all wired. They've all got, you know, got earpieces in where they can talk to each other. I, I do wonder how much that would translate to a a, a full year of, of television because when it's those little things, you're like, oh, that's Chuck being Chuck, and when he does it on TNT's basketball show. Like, he's silly, and there are times where he definitely doesn't know what he's talking about, but that's still Charles Barkley. That's a top 75 NBA player, former MVP kind of deal, so he has that credibility. I do wonder how much sort of the wackiness and the humor would translate when he does not have the the golf resume that he does with basketball. You think about this too, man. It's a lot easier to step in and be brilliant when your show is five minutes long, which is what it is. You know, I mean, they, they get on at halftime. They got five minutes to kick around, not even five during halftime, to kick around what happened in the first half. Now, the post game is going to be longer than that, but not a whole lot longer than that. Talk about uh, three hours of golf on a Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Uh, you know, I mean, I like him, but there might be some wear and tear, you know, Barkley wear and tear. So, uh, but it's, it's interesting. Faraday, on the other hand, and again, I'm not begrudging anybody the cash. They, they came and said, you know, they basically, they've thrown so much money at it, it's it's just nuts. The economics of it are beyond belief, even for guys who are used to making insane money. So if they're going to throw that kind of money around, um, I, I'm not going to begrudge anybody the opportunity to take it. Faraday is another one of those personalities. He's Barkley, he's the the Barkley of golf, basically. 
So you get a chance to combine those two together, and uh, you know, maybe it's some magic. Maybe it's uh, it's it's one of those things that'll work. Uh, but uh, uh, it's going to happen. I mean, usually when you start to read about these things, and uh, you know, you read well, well, maybe there's a deal coming. Yeah, you can bet that there's a deal coming, and it's going to be up to Barclays to whether or not it's enough money to say goodbye. And you also, is there any reason why Capital One? Or why Subway would have a problem with him being the face of Live Golf? Capital One, potentially, because they have the deal with Turner. I don't know if Subway would, though. Yeah. I'm talking about from a political perspective with the Saudi money being involved. I mean, Subway's navigated some storms in their day. I think they can get through that one. Read, Read Jared. Yeah. 